0: japan this is frank ling and from chicago illinois i'm charles lee and you're listening to the grok science show that's right it's a weekly look at the world of science technology and their effects on our daily lives coming up on today's program we'll be joined by professor leonard suskin who will talk about the black hole war so stay tuned for all of this plus the grokatron 5000 and your famous question of the week coming right up here on the grok's science show Science show. Well, black holes are the mysterious supermassive objects that are the subject of much myth and controversy. But a major scientific debate regarding the fate of information in a black hole has been raging for nearly three decades. A debate that has major implications for the very foundations of modern physics. Well, join us today to discuss this issue is Professor Leonard Susskind. Professor Susskind is the Felix Bloch Professor of Theoretical Physics at Stanford University. He's a member of the National Academy of Sciences and the American Association for the Advancement of Science and the recipient of numerous awards and prizes. Author of several books and articles, his latest release, The Black Hole War, My Battle with Stephen Hawking to Make the World Safe for Quantum Mechanics, explores this issue for a general audience. Uh, Professor Susskind, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. You're welcome uh... Well, it's really a pleasure to have you on the program and we were particularly uh, pleased to see uh, the quote in the beginning of your book regarding Grox and Heinlein. so uh-huh, right <laughs> <laughs> so black holes are the subject of quite a bit of myth in popular culture I'm wondering if you dispel some of the myths that actually exist out there about black holes
1: well what they are is probably stranger than any of the fiction that's been written about them uh, in some ways what they are they are the remnants of very heavy objects which are so heavy and so dense and so small that gravity pulls them together and they collapse under their own weight and shrink down to a microscopic point so small that you might as well say that it's zero they're very dangerous if you fell into one when you approach that point you'd be sucked in and well just taken apart and not put back together again humpty dumpty the Interesting thing about black holes is the center. The center is is the place where you would get this tremendously destructive forces on you. But there's another place which is called the horizon of the black hole. And it's really the horizon of the black hole which has been the great mystery. The horizon of the black hole is outside the singularity. And here's the way to think about it. Here's the way I like to think about it. If you were being swept down a river, and the river, as you were moving down it, let's say Niagara River, and as you were moving down it, the river sped up and got faster and faster, you're in a rowboat, and you can only row at a certain speed. You can't row faster than a certain speed. At some point, you would pass the point of no return. You simply would not be able to out row the current. And at that point, you'd be doomed. Now, if you were just floating down the river, you might not even know that you passed that point of no return. The really dangerous spot for you would be when you go over the falls and hit the rocks underneath. That's like the singularity of the black hole. But the doom, the point of no return where you can't outrow the current anymore, that's like the horizon of a black hole. Nothing can get out from inside the horizon because nothing can row fast enough, including a light beam. So you can't even send a message out of the black hole if you are being swept down. So the black hole is like a drain. I almost think of it as a drain where water is being sucked down and when you get too close to it, you'll just get sucked in no matter what you do. And not just you, but all the messages you could send out, all the bits of information. And as I said, the horizon is the most mysterious place for many reasons. You asked me about the myths about black holes. Well, the myths are fairly silly. There was a movie called The Black Hole, where if you fell into a black hole, you would come out in some other universe. Perhaps you would come out in heaven or hell or uh, Dante's Inferno. Mm-hmm. That idea is not right. You don't come out in other universes. You don't come out in other places. You, don't, you just get crushed. That's the end of the story. Mm-hmm. The myths about black holes, I don't know. You, you probably are more tapped into, into popular culture about these things than I am.
0: Well, there was some assertion that the singularity could actually form a tunnel into a different part of a space.
1: Yeah, that was was an idea. Actually, the idea goes back to Einstein, and it was based on some mathematical properties of idealized, very idealized black holes. But these are not the kind of black holes that form when a star collapses or in any other physical process that can make a black hole. So, yeah, there was a mathematical reason that Einstein himself uh, was aware of, that in a certain sense, black holes can be thought of as tunnels, but not in any real sense, and you can't cross those tunnels. The tunnels open up and close much too fast to be able to cross, and so there's no reality to the idea that you can fall in and come out in another place by going through a tunnel. That, I think, no physicists believe. well, very few physicists believe that. Other myths, that if you did fall through such a tunnel and come out in the other place, you could use it to make a time machine, all kinds of things. These don't seem to really be part of the mathematics, the real mathematics of black holes. So in some way, they're less exotic than the science fiction movies would have them, but they have their own really strange properties that finally beginning to grope with or gro- grok with <laughs> properly.
0: <laughs> the book actually talks a lot about a particular debate regarding uh, what happens to information as it goes into a black hole.
1: Yeah, well, of course, it all went back to a question that Stephen Hawking asked. Stephen asked the question whether information, we have to talk about what information is, but uh, information is just uh, what's in a book or what's in, uh, you know, the things that distinguish one thing from another. You throw in my book or you throw in somebody else's book. Those are two different pieces of information. According to Stephen, because things get sucked into a black hole and because they can't get out, that information is permanently lost to the outside world. Now, Stephen also, he was the pioneer who understood that black holes eventually evaporate. So he came to the conclusion, if the information falls in and it can't get out and the black hole eventually disintegrates, just uh, radiates away its energy, somehow, somewhere along the line, information was lost. Information or the distinction between things can never be reconstructed. Well, that's a violation of one of the most fundamental principles of physics. It's called reversibility, or it's called the conservation of information. And what it says is that, in principle, if you were to be careful enough and you were to be uh, sufficiently precise, you could always reverse the motion of every particle in the system and reconstruct what you started with. Something like this. Supposing you had a bomb and you start with a bomb in a laboratory someplace. You explode the bomb, and what goes out is a whole bunch of particles, electrons, photons, protons, neutrons, and they go scattered all over the place, making a tremendously big mess. You think that you've lost memory of what that bomb was like when it exploded. However, according to the most fundamental principle of physics, if you were to take every particle and reverse its motion and run the whole thing backward, Guess what? It would reassemble the bomb. Hawking said that won't be true of a black hole. If you run a black hole backward, all the particles that come out of it, all the radiation that come out of it eventually reverse them and start them moving inward again, exactly the opposite from the way they were moving, you wouldn't get back the star that the black hole formed from. You would just get more featureless, dull radiation out. So his view was that information, whatever formed the black hole, whatever created the black hole, is really just completely lost. That would have been a real violation of what I would say is the most fundamental principle of physics. It underlies all of physics, Newtonian mechanics, thermodynamics, quantum mechanics, everything. Everything is based on the idea that no information is ever lost. Of course, it can be scrambled. That bomb, when it goes off, scrambles everything in an enormous amount, and you'd have a hell of a time keeping track of every particle. But if you could and ran it backward, then it would just reassemble itself back into what it started as. And that was what Stephen was uh, was questioning. He was questioning the foundations, the very, very foundations that all of physics is built out of. Some of us, actually very few of us, mainly myself and Farad uh, Atuft, Did I say that well so you can understand it? (laughs) Let me say it in a way that everybody else can understand. Gerard Etuft, who's a Dutch physicist, a very famous Dutch physicist, Nobel Prize winner. And myself were the two people who said, wait, no, that can't be. And... We wrestled with the idea we could not understand what was wrong with Stephen's argument, incidentally. We just knew and felt that there must be something wrong with what he was saying, that information can't be lost inside a black hole. It would just undermine too much of physics. And so it basically took 20, 25 years to sort out and to wrestle with. I think we know the answer now. Information is not lost in black holes.
0: You you mentioned Stephen was coming from the general relativity background, and you from the quantum mechanical background. What was the distinction in trying to merge these two views?
1: Well, there were two views of a black hole. A view that came from the general theory of relativity, and a view that came from basic quantum mechanics. I'll tell you what the two views were. One view was that the horizon of the black hole is nothing more than the point of no return. When you fall into a black hole, nothing happens to you at the horizon. You've just got to the point where out, you can't outswim the current, so to speak. You can't get out because space is falling in faster than you can, or you or even a light beam can row your way out of a black hole. If you fell in, you would feel nothing at the horizon. It would take some time until you reach the singularity, which is like reaching the edge of the waterfall and falling off it. It would take some time until you really were doomed or until you were really destroyed. but the point of no return would be the point at which you simply can't get out. That was one view of a black hole. Nothing special at the horizon. You wouldn't feel anything. There was another point of view, which actually arose out of Stephen's work and the work of Jacob Bekenstein. And it said basically that if you're outside a black hole and you throw a thermometer down to see what's going on very close to the black hole, you'll find a tremendously hot surface very very close to the horizon you'll find that the surface is populated with a boiling uh, ferociously hot gas of particles degrees of freedom what we call degrees of freedom just little elementary objects which are tremendously hot and according to that view if you fell into the black hole you would be roasted cooked thermalized evaporated and radiated back out as little bits of information how could the two of those both be true That on the one hand, you can fall through the horizon and not notice it. On the other hand, somebody on the outside will reconstruct everything that happened, see everything that happened as you being thermalized, evaporated, ionized, and turned into elementary particles at the horizon. How could both be true? That was the controversy, which is true. And it turned out that they're both true. Hmm. That was very, very surprising, extremely outlandish conclusion that we came to, that both things are true. But how can they both be true?
0: So how can they both be true? <laughs> <laughs> why,
1: do you, why do you think they can't both be true?
0: Uh, well, how can one thing be uh, completely destroyed and yet uh, also fall in?
1: All right, so uh, the point is that the mental picture that you have is wrong. Hmm. The mental picture of an inside and an outside of a black hole and that things that happen inside the black hole are different than things that happen outside the black hole. This is not the first time in physics that mental pictures have led us completely astray. Let me just give you a couple of examples first. Mental pictures led us to the idea of a universal time so that everybody would agree about what the time is. And if one thing happened before another, everybody at it would agree about which thing happens before which other thing. Two light bulbs go off, which one goes off first? Everybody would agree, and that was true up until uh, the time that Einstein said, no, your mental picture is wrong. There's no universality to the idea of simultaneity. One thing in one reference frame can occur before another thing in another reference frame, and you just have to get used to that. Uh, Another example, the uncertainty principle, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, has to do with particles. What is a particle? A particle is a little thing that has a position. If it didn't have a position, you wouldn't call it a particle. If you follow the position with time, and it has a position at every time, then you can follow its trajectory, and you can compute, or you can measure its velocity. So if it has position at every time, then it has velocity. What Heisenberg said is, no, 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 there's something wrong with that. A particle can't have both the position and a velocity. If you measure one, you destroy the other. If you measure the other, you destroy the one. And so the right answer was not that a particle has position and velocity, it has position or velocity. You get to measure one of them and not the other. Whichever one you choose to measure, that's the one you've measured. The answer was basically the same for black hole. If you stand outside the black hole, you see one thing. If you fall into the black hole, you see another thing. You can't do both. You can't both be outside a black hole and inside a black hole. And furthermore, if you are inside the black hole, you can never send a message outside. So the idea that two contradictory things seem to happen, that seems to be true. But nobody, nobody can know about both of them. And so no single observer can ever derive a contradiction from the fact that two contradictory things seem to happen. So you know, physics is an observ- observable science. It's a science about observable things. A contradiction doesn't happen unless somebody can detect that contradiction. If the person inside the black hole could send out a message and say, oh, I fell through the horizon and nothing happened to me, and the person outside the black hole who computed something entirely different, if that message could be sent out, then somebody would really see a contradiction and they would have to resolve it. But the person inside the black hole can't send a message outside. And so the result is that nobody has a contradiction, just a mental picture which was defective, that there's an inside and that there's an outside and that you have to be able to make sense, that the person outside has to be able to make sense of both inside and outside. It just isn't the way it is. So it's one of these things, again, where mental pictures led us astray. Physics is full of things like that, full of very, very unintuitive almost contradictions things which really seem contradictory but which aren't but you really do need to rewire yourself for a new kind of concept that you simply weren't born with Mm -hmm. Our brains were designed by darwinian evolution for a world of rocks and slow motion a world of ordinary objects and they we really do get led astray when we push our ideas into domains where evolution didn't design us for Things that are so small that quantum mechanics matters. Things that are so fast that the speed of light matters. Things which are so heavy and dense that they become black holes. We just weren't designed to grok them. <laughs> the result is that we often have very, very wrong mental pictures. We have very, very wrong mental pictures about the idea of information and where it's located. We had the idea that two observers, two different people, would always agree if something was outside a black hole or inside a black hole. But it turns out not to be the case. It turns out that there's a vast amount of ambiguity and confusion about where a given event takes place, depending on who's watching it.
0: And certainly I think the most mind-bending thing about the implications of this is that proposed propose something called a holographic theory. Yeah,
1: that turned out to be the real bizarre thing. You can think of it this way. The horizon of a black hole is a two-dimensional surface. That horizon of the black hole has to store all the information that falls into the black hole so that it can radiate it out again. That's what the conservation of information tells us, that the the horizon has to be able to store it, keep track of it, and then radiate it back out. On the other hand, the horizon is only two-dimensional. It's like a surface. It's like a piece of film. It has to keep track of all this three-dimensional stuff that falls into the black hole. How does a two-dimensional film keep track of all the three-dimensional stuff that falls in? Well, we know one example, a hologram. A hologram is a kind of two-dimensional photograph. It's stored on a two-dimensional film. It's extremely scrambled. If you looked at a hologram under a microscope, you would not at all recognize what it was a picture of. And yet when you shine light on it, it reconstructs a full three-dimensional image. So that's an example of two-dimensional information keeping track of a three-dimensional world that's the way the horizon of a black hole is everything on the inside of a black hole it could be planets stars you me are stored in this two-dimensional film at the boundary of the black hole but the really weird thing that we learned from it all is that the entire world is like that the entire world is a kind of hologram that we really try to keep track of information, if we really try to keep track of the details to the best that physics can keep track of details, we will always find that all the information is on a surface far away at the outer boundaries of the universe. That is so unintuitive. It's called the holographic principle, and it was the uh, ultimate conclusion of this whole debate That the whole idea of information in three-dimensional space just is wrong under extreme circumstances and that if you push it to its ultimate conclusion the world is a kind of hologram. That idea which when it first came out uh, was considered uh, wild radical speculation has evolved into a working tool of theoretical physics. It's no longer wild speculation. It's become a working tool of theoretical physics that's even penetrated into things like nuclear physics. In fact, it's even penetrating into solid-state physics uh, slowly. What we don't understand is how it connects with cosmology, with the universe as a whole, how it connects with observational cosmology, the things that astronomers and cosmologists observe. This, to me, is the most exciting question.
0: So, we are running slightly out of time, but I'm curious, how close do you think we are to uh, grokking these issues, then?
1: Uh, my guess is we've got a long way to go, a very long way to go. I don't think we're near the end of the story. I know my friend Stephen Hawking, a number of years ago, predicted by the year 2000, we were on a television program someplace in Israel. Yes, it was in Israel. Myself, Stephen, and a physicist by the name of Sidney Coleman, who was a very, very famous physicist at the time, had lost Sidney's luggage Well, we were on the television program, and the uh, person like yourself asked, uh, uh, Professor Hawking, how close are we to a final answer to all of physics? Oh, by the year 2000, we will have a complete theory. Hmm. And then the person asked uh, Sidney Coleman, Sidney, how close do you think we are to a final theory? And Sidney said he didn't even think that by the year 2000, Al would find his luggage. (laughs) That's about how close I think we are. (laughs) (laughs) I think we've a very long way to go. Good, because there's lots and lots of things for the next generations to discover.
0: Indeed, indeed. Well, certainly look forward to seeing what all comes out of that. <laughs> Professor Susskind, I do want to thank you very much for joining us and uh, talking about the book, which is The Black Hole War, My Battle Stephen Hawking to Make the World Safe for Quantum Mechanics. Well, thank you. And you were just listening to Professor Leonard Susskind discussing the Black Hole War. This is the Grok Science Show. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, it's the Grokatron 5000 and the world-famous Question of the Week. So stay tuned.
1: In my eyes, in this pose, in this guise, no one knows, has the face. Like-
0: All right, we're ready to play the game. It is the Grokatron 5000. It is our supercomputer, formerly known as Deep Blue. Today, the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic, Information Lost or Information Gained. So for the following five people, the uh, Grokatron 5000 would like to know if you think they are information lost or information gained and maybe a little reason why. Professor Suskin, you ready to play the game? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, person number one, uh, lost or gained, Donald Trump.
1: Who's Donald Trump?
0: (laughs) So lost then, huh? (laughs) Uh, person number two is the Fed chairman, Ben Bernanke. Uh,
1: ben Bernanke? I mean, he's the uh, chairman of the Fed. I don't think there is any information to be lost or gained in uh, a <laughs> bunch of wild guesses. Well, I think maybe he's running it as well as anybody can run it, given uh, the way the bus has been run into the ditch. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be political, but I can't resist. <laughs>
0: uh, well, number three should be a political information lost or information gained. Claude Shannon.
1: Claude Shannon. Ah. Uh-huh. Oh, Information Gained. He was the great information theorist who really understood in a very deep way the connections between information and entropy.
0: Founder of modern information theory, right? The
1: founder of modern... Well, there's many founders, of course, but uh, yes, he was certainly the founder if you admit that there may have been a few of the founders. Mm. Person number four
0: is a Microsoft former CEO, Bill Gates.
1: Oh, I think we'd have to say Information Gained. I couldn't live without Microsoft. I could never have written a book. I could never have... uh, you no, know, I know there's all kinds of downsides to Microsoft, but boy, am I dependent on it.
0: Well, uh, person number five is the President of the United States, George Bush.
1: Oh, my. Well, I would say uh, uh, information lost. <laughs> information down the drain, into the black hole. <laughs> I hope we don't all follow him. Well, he, he, he'll probably just uh, dangle above it and say, ha ha, bye bye.
0: All right, well, Professor Seskin, I I do want to thank you for sticking around, playing the game, and of course, again, talking about your book, which is The Black Hole War, My Battle with Stephen Hawking to Make the World Safe for Quantum Mechanics. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that's all for this week's episode of the Grok Science Show. Uh, We'll be back next week with more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here at the Grox Science Show, you can email us at groks at hotmail.com. For the Grox Science Show, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on groking.